Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. We've been doing the last few weeks some uh, exploring on holding a, a positive vision in some way for what's going on now really is intense, isn't it? I mean, as, as I've been saying the last few weeks and just kind of naming what I'm sure you are uh, likely feeling inside, uh, this is such an intense time. And with everything on the line and these next couple of months, uh, so much unknown, uh, not to mention the, the virus and the economy and the racial injustice and, um, and this uh, crazy election we're in the middle of. So how to both find our center and not be completely overwhelmed with the emotions and we've explored grief and despair and uh, I wanted to talk a little bit tonight or some tonight on first processing whatever anger might be there. Anybody have any anger coming up these days? A few hands. Um, and it's the same principle as feeling the, the sadness or the fear or the grief um, but there can be a kind of frustration that comes when things don't seem fair or there's, uh, uh, there's ignorance and cruelty um, and um, hypocrisy. So I want to explore a little bit about that using Sharon Salzberg's new book. She has a book uh, that's quite good. It's called Real Change, uh, Mindful, Mindfulness for Ourselves and the World. It's filled with stories. It just came out um, a month or so ago. It's filled with lots and lots of stories of people who've somehow overcome the, the pain and the heartbreak uh, or the uh, the self-judgment to really show up in this world and to make a difference. And um, it's about engaged practice. Lots and lots of really beautiful stories. And she says in that book, first to remember that it's possible for change to happen. Uh, and if we get caught up in just feeling like uh, we're doomed, whether it's about the current climate or the bigger climate, uh, then you're throwing in the towel and um, not being part of, uh, not contributing and expressing your practice in a way that can be helpful for others. And to see that um, you have some agency here when you have a, a sense of purpose that in your deep caring, you can 
process all the feelings that might get in the way and then, then choose to act consciously from love. But as she goes into uh, near the beginning of the book about how to, how to deal with the fire that comes up out of frustration, out of anger, and of outrage, and how we can turn our, our anger into, you metabolize it. There's a lot of feelings in there, and you uh, take in those feelings, learn how to pull them, learn how to feel their energy, and move through so that the care underneath the frustration and the anger and the outrage uh, becomes um, harnessed for skillful action. Mm. This is from uh, Cesar uh, Chavez. She quotes, you can't organize a group of victims fighting injustice or an offense to their dignity they become angry and involved. So this is not to say that if you're a good Buddhist, you shouldn't feel anger. That's not how it works. If you are human and you care and you are um, you're, um, feeling frustrated and outraged by what's going on, whether it's in society or if it can happen if it happens in your life anger is part of the human experience the buddha did not say do not have anger he said learn how to work with it learn how to deal with it learn how to process it it's right there in the satipatthana sutta the third foundation of mindfulness one knows the angry mind as the as the mind with anger, not to feel guilty, not to, um, to have some judgment, and not to get lost in it. As we've, we've said before, that um, when you get lost in anger, uh, it can easily turn into hatred. And you know that, uh, that teaching of the Buddha, I've mentioned it so many times. Hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred ceases by love alone. This is an ancient and eternal law. But there's a place for anger to motivate us. And if we stuff it, we are cutting ourselves off from, from life. And uh, and in fact, you can just go around and be numb or live in denial or become distracted. And so uh, it's important to understand that there's aliveness in that feeling. Uh, a number of years ago, I came across a book. It's a wonderful collection. It's a collection of um, Jungian uh, essays. It's called Meeting the Shadow, and the subtitle is The Hidden Power in the Dark Side of Human Nature. Meeting the Shadow, the Hidden Power in the Dark Side of Human Nature. Now, 
I was somebody, uh, when I first got into this practice, I could open up to sadness. I could open up to uh, self-judgment. I could open up to, in, in time, I could open up to worry or fear, but anger was really hard for me uh, by nature. I was, uh, you know, I like to be a nice guy and um, it scared me. I think it scared me how much, if I really let it out, that I would, I would feel and, uh, and, and hurt people. So it took me a while to really start to own, oh, this is part of being human. And that book was very helpful. Even just the title was helpful. Oh my goodness, Meeting the Shadow, the, dark, the hidden power in the dark side of human nature. And um, I got in touch with the fact that there was a lot of life and aliveness that I was suppressing in my trying to be a, a good guy. Um, and so you really want to be able to honor and hold it and feel it and, and realize that in that feeling of aliveness underneath all of that, those feelings is a deep care. Anger is a kind of protection from feeling all of those vulnerable feelings. This is from uh, Sharon quotes, Lama Rod Owens, who's a, a Tibetan teacher who sat on uh, three-year retreats, and uh, he's, he's a wonderful teacher. He says, anger is the bodyguard of our woundedness. There's the trauma, there's the anger, there's the rage, but healing is about moving through that, not distancing, not distracting, but moving through it to that really fundamental sadness and hurt that's beneath the anchor. Mm. This is from James Baldwin. He says, most people discover that when the hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with their pain. That's what's underneath a lot of the hatred in this world. And in fact, uh, it, it reminds me as I'm as I'm talking, uh, somebody sent me, um, gave me a gift uh, of this book called Rising Up from Hatred. Um, she said, you've got to read this book. And actually, I, uh, this morning, I was up reading it for a couple of hours. I said, okay, I've got to read this book. It's about this, um, uh, this white nationalist guy named Derek Black, whose father um, created the website Stormfront, one of the big white nationalist um, websites. His godfather was David Duke from the, the Grand Wizard of the KKK. His mother had been married to David Duke before, before um, his father, uh, Don Black. And he was groomed from an early age from like the age of eight or 10, he started uh, giving talks and uh, had this hugely popular radio show um, 
what's it called? Yeah, the Derek, the Don and Derek Black show. And every day he would, uh, he'd be on the show. It, it got, got so popular, it became uh, a show five days a week. Anyway, he went away to uh, college, a uh, really smart guy. He lived down in, Fl in Florida and he went to this very um, liberal arts progressive school. He didn't realize how progressive it was. It was a, it was a, uh, a college in uh, Sarasota, uh, New College of Florida. It's, it's quite an amazing book. And he was leading this double life. I didn't plan to get into this, but, but this is, it was just so compelling. This is what's on my mind. He was lead, he's leading this double life. Every morning he'd be on the radio and thousands of people were, were, uh, were listening to him. And the rest of his world, he started meeting uh, these people who were, who were different from him. He, got, he was very attracted to this Jewish girl who, and nobody knew anything about him. He started dating her. And one of his best friends was from Peru. And it was really doing something to his mind because he'd been trained over the course of his life that these were people that were hardly human. And he had to, at some point, uh, come to terms with the fact, oh, he was taken in, but he started going to, um, what was it? Um, uh, his, uh, he had a Jewish friend whose family invited him once he finally came out. At first, he didn't come out for a year. He didn't come out. And then he was outed and it was big, uh, a, a, a big to do whether to leave this, keep this guy on, on campus and in school. But he stayed and little by little, he was taken in by people who knew who he was. And uh, he started having these conversations with this Jewish uh, family. He'd go over to their house and have Sabbath with them. And little by little, he shed his beliefs as he, they would have very deep conversations. And now he's a spokesperson for to understand the way that that mind of hate works and he is a, a force for uh for consciousness and good it's really good rising up from hatred so it's to say that hatred covers up the pain and the confusion and the hurt and that you have to be taught how to hate and you can be taught to unlearn it as well. But you have to honor that anger and you have to hold it without identifying with it and harness the energy of it, uh, whether that means discharging by just doing some exercise, physically dis discharging or, or getting into the body and, uh, and, and walking in nature, various ways that we can we can work with it or learning to hold the feelings without expressing them, not deny them, but hold them without expressing them. And Sharon makes the point that anger um, held with mindfulness, if you can really just stay with it and not identify with it and not, not get caught in it, that 
there's the energy that gets released and there's the insight to do wise things with it because within anger is wise discernment in the uh, in the Tibetan tradition there's teachings of um, different Buddha families different temperaments and one of these one of these Buddha families is called the Vajra family which is the um, the the cutting through it's it's an aversive personality, but in its enlightened aspect is wise discriminating wisdom. The, the symbol for the Vajra family is, this is called a Dorje, um, this thing that I'm holding up, and it's a symbol to cut through. And in the Tibetan iconography, the figure Manjushri uh, is uh, seen in Tonkas, there's one uh, in the Spirit Rock Council House, a, a, a picture of Manjushri. Manjushri has a sword, the sword of discriminating wisdom, that when all of that anger can be processed skillfully, there's a clarity that comes with it. There's a cutting through the ignorance and a cutting through all the, the BS to have a very skillful, powerful action. So it's not to deny your anger or pretend it's not there, especially these days, but not to get overwhelmed by it and not to, um, uh, not to uh, get um, completely numb to it and distract ourselves. And that means also having a bigger perspective where we can we can hold things and see we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know how things are going to turn out. We can feel despairing and think, oh, there's, there's no point. What can I do with this uh, at, at this situation? It seems hopeless. And you don't know because when you can turn that, all of that caring and that, that feeling into, um, into effective action, then you become part of the inspiration that awakens that in others. I think what I want to do, and I do want to get to um, what I was talking about in these series, having a positive vision, but I think just to, uh, before we go on, I want to share with you a couple of clips of an inspira inspiring person for me. I've mentioned her many times. Uh, Julia Butterfly Hill, and I don't think I've played this clip uh, in, in recent times. Uh, there's two clips, actually. One about anger, getting in touch with anger and going underneath it to the love, and another which she calls fierce compassion. So I'm going to share the screen now. Uh, let's see. And... Uh, now. Going to share the screen. Can you can you see it? Can people see it? Okay, and now I'm going to open it, and hopefully the sound will be coming out so you can hear it too. And here she is. I'll get this off so it's not distracting. Sorry about this. 
So she came to my um, Awakening Joy class a number of years ago, and uh, I asked her to talk about compassion, and this is uh, one clip of it. There's two clips that I want to show you. Here's the first one, anger versus love. It's just a minute and a half. I tell people, I'm not trying to tell people not to be angry. I feel if you're not angry at the world today, you're probably not awake. But it's, <laughs> but for me, there's a shift that happens, which is, do I choose to do what I do out of my anger, my judgment, or do I choose to do what I do out of my love? Just like the tree takes in the toxins, breathes it in, transforms it into life and grows, I too could do the same thing. When I'm present to my anger, I can choose to act out of anger and I'm probably going to make a mess. Or I can breathe that anger in. I can recognize that always what is underneath my anger is my care. I'm only angry because I care so much about my world that it breaks my heart that we're so good at destroying it and destroying one another. And I recognize that because I've done this work enough that when I'm angry, what it's actually doing is it's a self-defense mechanism against this. Against the fact that I care so much about our world and I see what's possible for us as a humanity and I see how far we have to go. And it breaks my heart. But underneath my anger, underneath my rage, underneath my fear and my overwhelm is my care. And if I can get in touch with my care, then I can put love into action instead of anger into action or fear into action. So this is the, let me just get this off. Um, and I've got one more coming up. So the first step is to just feel that vulnerability and that, that care as she's, she's just willing to be vulnerable right there in front of, in front of us. And then the next step is what she calls fierce compassion. The beautiful thing for me is that through love, I can transform my anger, my rage, my cynicism into what I call fierce compassion. But it doesn't lose its teeth. I got a little bit of an edge to me. <laughs> I don't know if you've realized that tonight or not. I'm not sure. <laughs> I have a little bit of an edge. And people ask me that a lot because some people are so attached to the anger is what sources them. They ask me, well, if I were to give up my anger, what would I do? Like my anger is what gets me out of bed in the morning. I'm like, well, why is it that anger gets you out of bed? Why do you choose that instead of love? Like it's actually just a choice. But in the space of choosing to transform through love, I don't lose the edge. I don't lose the fierceness of my passion. But fierce compassion gets the chainsaw of judgment out of this space and gets me present to every breath is a miracle. How do I want to live my life in a way that honors that miracle? Wow, I get goosebumps when I get present to that. That's such a more joyful way to live life. Joy, awakening joy. Joy gets awakened every moment that I get judgment out of the space, get love in the space and get myself in service to love. Ultimately, my service to others is about bowing to the feet of love every day and saying, what would love have me think in this moment? What would love have me say in this moment? And what would love have me do in this moment? We may or may not win. We may or may not lose. 
Who knows? We don't have the crystal ball. But what I do know is every day that I wake up and choose to think, speak, and act in love, I won. And hopefully others win as a result. So that's uh, Julia, and I'll stop the sharing. So that's a, a key part of this alchemical process that you feel the anger, you go underneath it to the place that you care, and then you are courageous in applying all that care in fierce compassion. It doesn't mean you're namby-pamby, but it doesn't mean that you, um, that you come from hate either. And one of the most profound ways to cut through that hate is to just see everybody has is who they are through causes and conditions, just like that guy, Derek Black, who had to be carefully taught, as it said in South Pacific, taught to hate. And that the confused people who have ideas and neuroses and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and ignorance because of who they are, um, there's a possibility for compassion to, uh, to be the, uh, the response, fierce compassion that says, I'm going to do everything I can from love. So I want to just share one last piece, and this is where we can hold a positive vision. I don't think I, I've read this. This is, uh, uh, at least in, in this Thursday group, this is uh, the Shambhala Prophecy by Joanna Macy. Have I read this recently? I don't think so. So this is a Tibetan um, prophecy that's from 12, uh, 12 centuries ago um, about, about this time. And this is uh, something, these, these classes, these, these last weeks, uh, I'm I'm giving myself these Dharma talks about how to hold some positive vision instead of not succumbing to our uh, worry and, uh, and despair. So this is a transmission that was given to her from uh, her, one of her Tibetan teachers, uh, Chogyal Rinpoche. It's not Chogyam Rinpoche, but Chogyal Rinpoche. She got this 45 years ago, no, maybe no, more by now, and it really set her on the course of her life. She was a Peace Corps volunteer in, uh, in Northern India in Tashijang, and she was staying with the Tibetans. And this was, um, this was the thing that she says set her on her, her path. And it is called the Shambhala Prophecy, and we're all part of it. There comes a time when all life on earth is in danger. Barbarian powers have arisen. Although they waste their wealth in preparations to annihilate each other, they have much in common 
weapons of unfathomable devastation and technologies that lay waste the world. It is now when the future of all beings hangs by the frailest of threads that the kingdom of Shambhala emerges. You cannot go there, for it is not a place. It exists in the hearts and minds of the Shambhala warriors. <clears throat> you cannot recognize a Shambhala warrior by sight, for there is no uniform or insignia. There are no banners, and there are no barricades from which to threaten the enemy, for the Shambhala warriors have no land of their own. Always they move on the terrain of the barbarians themselves. Now, come, now comes the time when a great courage is required of the Shambhala warriors, moral and physical courage. For they must go into the very heart of the barbarian power and dismantle the weapons. To remove these weapons in every sense of the word, they must go into the corridors of power where the decisions are made. The Shambhala warriors know they can do this because the weapons are mono-maya, mind-made. This is very important to remember. These weapons are made by the human mind so they can be unmade by the human mind. The Shambhala warriors know the dangers that threaten life on earth do not come from evil deities or extraterrestrial powers. They arise from our own choices and relationships. So now the Shambhala warriors must go into training. And how do they train? They train in the use of two weapons. The weapons are compassion and insight. <clears throat> Both are necessary. We need this first one, compassion, he said, lifting his right hand, because it provides us the fuel. It moves us out to act on behalf of other beings. But by itself, it can burn itself out. So we need the second one as well, insight into the dependent co-arising of all things. It lets us see that the battle is not between good people and bad people, for the line between good and evil runs through, the heart, through every human heart. We realize that we are interconnected as in a web, and that each act with pure motivation affects the entire web bringing consequences we cannot measure or even see. Insight alone can seem too cool to keep us going. So we need as well the heat of compassion, our openness to the world's pain. Both weapons or tools are necessary to the Shambhala warrior. And here we are at this time where we are cultivating those tools and we're at a juncture where we can either go over the cliff, as I say, 
or learn to, um, to fly. We've got a lot of possibilities here. So um, I, I hope that we can keep our practice alive with both compassion and with insight that processes all the feelings and the anger and the hatred, but sees the possibility of a vision that we are in the middle of an awakening of the human spirit and the human mind and the human heart. Mm. And the more we can come from that place, the more we can hold a positive vision, the more we can be inspired to act. So the last thing I'll do before opening it up now to, um, to everyone is I invite you to um, close your eyes if you'd like. And let go of knowing how things are going to turn out. Whether it's this near future, our situation right now, or the bigger picture with climate, or all the other um, calamities facing us, the virus, the economy, race, all of those things, let go of, of thinking you know how it's going to turn out. And with your eyes gently closed, I invite you to conjure up the possibility that we're in the middle of an awakening, that we have to go through the shadow, the scariest places, the hero's or heroine's journey, to wake up, just as the Buddha said, that's how the process goes. And let your imagination <clears throat> open to the possibility that we're in a true awakening. And that we are all part of this. This is the moment we were born for. I quote Bellevue Rooks. And just holding that possibility, the suspension of disbelief, as it's sometimes said, see if it can help you transform whatever anger or fear or despair into fierce compassion, into commitment and determination, 
remember you are not alone in this. You are not alone. There's right here on this call, 35 other people with you. And there's millions and millions of people who care. And you're part of this. Let's do our parts to make it happen. So we have some time for some conversation, uh, anything that, that comes up uh, for you. If you'd like to, you can raise your hand or, um, or ask a question if that's on your mind. We just have 10 minutes or so left. Eve isn't here with us tonight. She'll be here with us next week, by the way, along with Dwayne. Uh, yeah, uh, Deborah. And uh, unmute yourself. I'll talk um, I'm, I wouldn't say continually, but very often thinking about that he'll do something to make this not happen and win very illegally and evilly you know with evil stuff and and then i get all a spiral into that and because i guess i know it's possible that this person could do this mm -hmm. um so I, i'm not fooling myself but i i just would like to leave tonight with just a note of lightness about how to not go to those places. Yeah. Well, and it's, of course, that, that's the thing. You, you have to let go of knowing. You don't know. But when the mind gets caught in fear or outrage, the thoughts that naturally arise are going to be scary thoughts. So first to just see that you don't know and that you don't need to scare yourself. Uh, you're, you're, you know, no, it's scary enough as it is. Why scare yourself by continually dwelling on that? Because it's just as possible, you know, that, uh, that it, it, it can go a very different way. That's where it, I, I see the chance of, tremendous possibility and until until it's over it's not over and i think there's a whole lot more people that want to see kindness and compassion prevail so um the, the, the key is to stay in the present and realize i don't know let's just do what i can here because 
the more that you're lost in the fear and despair, you're just adding more fear and, and, and despair and, and negativity, which is, you know, where we're just going around frightening each other. Whereas at least if you just see, oh, I don't know, and, and realize there's a whole lot of people that care, then uh, you can be inspired by them and they can inspire you too. Okay. I don't know and, and breathe. You got it. There's your instructions. Uh, let's see. And uh, if you want, you can, uh, you can put your, uh, go into the participants box and hit the raise hand um, icon and then I'll, I'll see if you're, you have something you want to share. <clears throat> and if it's easier, I guess you could just unmute yourself. I just can't see both screens at the same time. Uh, Cecile, hi. You can unmute yourself and, and talk. So you got the uh, mute, but the uh, microphone down there, it says. That's better. I think you can hear me now. There you go. Uh, so I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not hornswoggled by what you've shared with us at all. I'd like just to, to offer us this quotation from uh, Dennis Kucinich because I think it has bearing on what you've been sharing with us. Mm. Quote, we make war with such certainty, yet we are befuddled how to create peace. This paradox requires reflection if we are to survive Making and endorsing war requires a secret love of death and a fearful desire to embrace annihilation. Mm. Creating peace requires compassion, putting ourselves in the other person's place and all of their suffering and all of their hopes and to act from our heart's capacity to love not fear, and that's Dennis Kucinich. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I just think that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. He's a good one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Linda, hi. Nice to see you around. Where are you? Unmute yourself and... Oh, here I am. Can you hear me? Can hear you, yeah. Don't have your video on, or? Uh... Let's see, let me do my video. Uh, I'll start talking while I'm okay. still here. Um, so, James, so nice to see you. And uh, there's my video. Um, yeah, I think what's coming up for me is that I have family members, my parents and my brother, who are in swing states that really matter. And they are staunch um, supporters of this person that I'm having a hard time with. And I 
I, I just can't even think about um, speaking with them right now. I'm so much emotion and, and anger and fear. Um, it just overwhelms me and I can't, <laughs> I can't pretend like that's not going on. Yeah. It's not just about, it, you know, the, the election is bringing up so much. I mean, we're in the middle of a climate crisis here in California and we're being told that, you know, we should be raking our leaves. This is something that I've been talking about with my family for a long time without them buying into it. And, and I've been working for years and years on climate change and, and all kinds of um, community organizing and advocacy things. And, and I've got two kids in their 20s who are struggling a lot right now. And it's, it's I feel like I just need to completely uh, check out until this whole thing is over. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much, I, I, I feel like I can't even have any contact right now. It's too painful for yeah. me. So how do uh, I? <laughs> I, I? You know, I, I, uh, I think sometimes that's, uh, that's the wisest thing to do. The Dalai Lama says when you've done everything you can and there's still negativity uh, in your environment, that's the time to find the nearest exit. Uh, or the Buddha himself says, keep the company of the wise, avoid the company of the foolish. It's, it's harder when it's people that you care about and you're, and you're close with, but sometimes you just have to know what your limits are and to take care of yourself because there's, uh, because there's so much fragility and so much care in there. So I think it sounds really wise. You, you have to know how to protect yourself so that you're, you've got more um, real positive energy and not draining yourself with, um, with the negativity. So no, no, I hope you don't have any judgment about that and just see, oh, this is wise. This is compassionate. This is what I need to do to take care of myself right now. I think I'm caught in that um, a lot of uh, guilt feelings of I, I should, <laughs> and my parents are elderly, they just moved, they have some health conditions and they're, you know, they're dealing with, with this COVID situation too. And, you know, there's just a lot of shoulds and, and, you know, I, I've, I've let my mom call a couple times and, and leave me messages and she's clearly at ease with the world. <laughs> relaxing and reading a book in her chair. And meanwhile, I'm working like day and night to do what I can and I'm, I'm not sleeping well and I'm having so much anxiety and I, I can't pick up the phone. I mean, I even listen to the messages and it just is so, makes me so irate. Mm -hmm. I'm, just, I'm just, I'm just not happy with myself. I'm yeah. not happy with how I am not finding a balance even. No, well, I, I, I really feel for you, Linda, and I just, I really encourage you to, uh, to let go of thinking you should be feeling what you're feeling. You shouldn't be feeling what you're feeling. We feel what we feel, like I was saying before. And now the question is, how can I hold it with, with kindness? Like Julia says, what would, ha what would love have me do with this? Just, just keep that instruction. What would love have me do with this outrage and anger? 
Love would just have you hold it and say, oh, you're hurting so much, dear. There's no right or wrong. You just need to take care of yourself first before you, uh, you enter into those relationships that, that weigh you down. Thanks, James. Yeah, thank you. Okay, uh, it's, it's just about time. Um, so um, keep the faith. I guess that's what it really comes down to. And, um, and be a force for goodness, whether it's taking care of yourself or expressing in wise action. And we can just dedicate our time here together. Remember that Dwayne uh, Elgin is going to be here next week uh, with a real positive vision about climate and about the world. So getting in touch with your heart that cares and appreciating that <clears throat> and being here with many other like-minded friends who also care and may we collectively share our caring and our concern and our practice uh, for the benefit of all and for the planet. May all find true peace. May all transform their anger into love. May all know the highest happiness. Thank <clears throat> you.